The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, one and all. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're still coming to you after 20-some-odd years, 28 years this year, from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV, and to find out about the other programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, the website is xzbn.net, and we're coming to you around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is Jean Van Brockhorse. Uh, she is the author of Dreams at the Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life, published by our good friends at Llewellyn. She has uh, graduate degrees in psychology and in social work and has worked with people facing life-threatening illnesses for over 20 years, including 10 years as a hospice social worker. Her first book, Premonitions in Daily Life, which came out in 2013, has been translated into four languages. She is now working on a new book about how we can say goodbye to people we love at the end of her life. And uh, she, uh, at their life, I should say, she lives not that far from us, uh, just down the road on the uh, QEW in the beautiful city of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Jean, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, how did you get involved with the type of work that you do as, as a psychologist and a social worker? Um, I started out uh, as a medical social worker. And I've always been interested in dreams, and so I just naturally kind of gravitated to asking people about dreams as I was working with them. And it was interesting to watch um, the conversations change as as dreams came up. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but when I was working as a social worker in hospice in particular, you know, there's so much that happens at the end of life. It's right, It's right. a hard time, and... People are stressed, and there's a lot as a social worker that I'm doing to try and help them stay safe and sound at home. And um, with all that work, what sometimes gets lost, though, is the emotions of it and how people are coping. And I found that if I just ask them, how are your dreams doing these days? Mm -hmm. How are your dreams these days? People use that as a real invitation to talk about their spiritual lives and their emotional lives. And it was just this amazing opening that I found. Yeah, it it just opened up these really intense, lovely conversations with people where they could talk about, well, you know, my dreams have gotten harder as I'm facing, you know, the idea that I might not be here. Or I had this wonderful dream about someone who came to help me and, and I'm feeling like I'll be okay. Or I dreamed about my daughter and realized I haven't talked to her in a long time and we need to talk to again. A wake-up call, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Some of the dreams were wake-up calls. Wow. Some of them were comforting and some of them were just what I would call respite dreams, um, which are just dreams of, you know, I went out flying last night or I went out dancing last night or just dreams to help people feel like they – kind of remind them of who they've been and what's mm-hmm. been important in their life. Do you find that we as a culture are changing the way that we that we look at death? Yeah, I think so. I think as the baby boomers get older, mm-hmm. uh, and I count myself as a, one of the younger ones, um, yeah, I think we are 
I think death and dying has really taken a huge shift in the last 30 years, um, partly because medical technology got so good, mm -hmm. it was able to help us live longer than some people wanted to. Um, and I think the whole dying with dignity movement has uh, come up from that, uh, that sense of we have to choose more than we ever have in the past. So there's a lot of differences. Oh, can, you, can you tell me what a visitation dream is? Yeah, those are really interesting. It's when people get close to the end of their lives, mm -hmm. um, they tend to have more dreams of people that have known them and loved them who are already dead, who come to them in their dreams um, and usually come for the purpose of helping them move on to the next life. So they're, they're really fascinating. Um, there have been a few studies on it. There's a lot of people that... Um, most of the studies that have been done about them have asked nurses and the doctors and family members kind of what have you heard your loved one talk about. But one study in particular um, that came out just a couple of years ago from Buffalo, um, they actually had researchers in the hospice and they asked people to tell them their dreams. And they found that a good portion of them um, were having these visitation dreams of somebody coming to say, I'm here to help you. Well, to what do we attribute these dreams to? Is it the fact that the person knows that they're going to be dying soon and, and they are hoping that someone will meet them because they believe in their heart of hearts that there's more to life than we know it and the death process is just the next step to our own personal growth? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know that I, I have a real strong answer. I think that that's part of it, that mm -hmm. people are are preparing themselves for death and the dreams are helping them. I don't know how many people are, are looking for those dreams, though, as much as they're being surprised by them. Um, kind of a sense of, my mother was here. Right. Um, and so they take on kind of a they become more, almost like visions. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember this when I was first working in the hospital. I, would, I walked into a woman's room and she was looking up at the ceiling and talking to somebody. And then she looked at me and we had our little conversation and I kind of asked her who she was talking to and she said nobody and gave this kind of secret little smile. <laughs> and as I walked out, I turned around and she was back talking to whoever that invisible person was again. It's it's funny because most people, when you talk to them about people talking to other people, it seems to be okay when it's in a in the state or in the circumstance where somebody is getting ready to pass over. But people talk to their loved ones as well as their deity quite often. And, you know, I don't think that this should be shunned on. I think that this should be an open expression. And, uh, for example, people go to church, they pray, and that's talking. That, you know, many people pray and ask for guidance from those who have passed on the other side, and they're not getting ready to die. So do you think that society is, is at the point where we're going to grow, we're going to acknowledge that there is more to talking to, um, how can I best say it, uh, talking to somebody that we cannot see or we cannot hear, but others can? Yeah, I, I, that would be amazing. I, I think we are, I don't know how quickly the culture will change to accept that, yeah. but I do know in, in grief and bereavement, for example, there used to be this uh, thing about um, the experts would say, we're going to help you try and, and let go of your loved one and move on with your life. But what they found is that the people who hold on and feel connected mm -hmm. and continue talking to their loved one um, do just fine. Yeah. And they actually do better with their grief. So there have been some wonderful studies showing that um, uh, there was a man who had been married for 65 years and he was still puttering that around the house and talking to his wife after she died. And he said, she always listened to me, so why wouldn't she listen now? And uh, feeling that connection mm -hmm. to last beyond death really helped him cope. 
So it's a mixed bag. It is. It is. Are, are there any 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 similarities between the people who have these visitation dreams? I, I don't mean their age or because they're in they're in a hospital and they know that they're they're going to be leaving this reality to the next any time. But is there any difference, any similarities in the in the religious beliefs, in the ethnic um, grooming of this person? Oh, no, there doesn't seem to be. They do know that, um, especially in Western culture, mm-hmm. where we tend to be less religiously oriented, um, that the, the visitors tend to be um, relatives and people that they know and trust and have been loved by. Um, in other cultures where there's a stronger religious component, right. then visitors are sometimes more like religious figures. The religious figures, they always show up though the within the context of the person's life. So you're not going to find a Buddhist see Jesus or a Christian see Allah. It's, right. it's, it's more that people kind of fit within the the religious, spiritual beliefs that they, that they have. All right, stand by. You and I have to take a break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes on Exxon. This is the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We're talking to our special guest this hour, Jean Van Bronckhorst. And we'll be back on the other side as we continue discussing her book, Dreams at the Threshold, here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like exxon sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Gwilda Wiak's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of the Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest and armed with over 40 years experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold.
Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Jean Van Bronckhorst about her new book. It's entitled Dreams at the Edge of Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life, published by our good friends at Llewellyn. And her website is www.jeanvanbronckhorst.com. Um, what has been the, the reviews or the comments that you've received uh, about your book from people who... Uh, who deal in the uh, point where people die? It's actually been pretty positive. Mm -hmm. I, I got a couple of good reviews from um, the International Hospice and Palliative Care Association. Um, and the reviewer there said it felt like it was a piece of the jigsaw puzzle for the end-of-life care kind of coming into place. Um, so the the book tends to be for both people who are dying and for their families. It's written for the general, of course, the general reader rather than the, uh, the professional. Right. Why do you think dreams play such an important part in the end-of-life end of process? Uh, I, think, I think because it's such an amazingly difficult, challenging time. Um, we only do it once that we're aware of, mm -hmm. um, and we don't get a lot of experience with it. And I think just as dreams can help us throughout life, um, when we're facing big challenges and big stressors, dreams come to the fore, I think, to help us navigate through those waters. What do we know about the physiology behind a dream? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't have a lot of uh, experience with that, but there's been more dream research just in the last uh, couple of decades, mm -hmm. and mostly uh, coming out of the sleep laboratories. Um, so as we learn more about why we sleep and what sleep is for, uh, it's becoming more clear how dreams are help us cognitively, uh, help us with learning, help us uh, kind of hold on to experiences. Um, so there's there's a fair amount of research that's out there about it. I don't know. I can talk about it very well, though. <laughs> well, I mean, let me ask you this. What's the difference between a visitation dream and the hallucinations that we hear about? Oh, yeah. Because hallucinations do happen at the end of life, too, um, mm -hmm. especially when people are on some of the heavy-duty Pain medications, sometimes they can cause hallucinations, and there are several diseases that can cause hallucinations as well. But there's a pretty particular difference between those and the visitation dreams and visions that I was talking about earlier. Um, hallucinations tend to be pretty meaningless, random things that people see, and often they're, they're really pretty disorienting and confusing. Um, people might see bugs crawling up the wall. People with some kinds of dementia will see uh, little children running through the rooms or small animals running around. Mm -hmm. But but these animals and children don't interact with them, and they're not they're not animals that they know or people that they know. So it has this real sense of uh, disorientation, and people feel really quite um, distressed by them. Whereas the visitations, visitations are almost uniformly of people that not just that they know and love, but they are seeing the people when they loved them or when they had the strongest connection. So someone might see, an 80-year-old woman might see her parents, um, but she would see her parents as they looked when she was younger. Um, and in needing of their care, mm -hmm. see them so much as they are when they were at the end of their lives. Um, so they show up, they show up kind of strong and healthy and they show up as kind of their best selves. They are not usually, they don't bring any of the old family conflicts or fights or the, you know, the stuff that can happen between people. All of that seems to have just gone away and they're their presence has this kind of sense of love and comfort in wanting to help this person move on to the next place. 
Do uh, all dreams mean the same thing to people when they're dying, or do the dreams vary in their meanings? Oh, yeah, they, they vary. They vary just as almost as much as they do when uh, as for the rest of our lives. Um, I think most of us ha- kind of develop as we, as we age, we develop our own little dream language. Um, so I know like when I dream of water, it means a particular thing for me, um, that it might not mean for somebody else, but, but when we face the, the stressors of dying, those challenges will bring up some dreams that have have things in common, like the visitation dreams um, and journey dreams also become more common at the mm-hmm. end of life. And that's that's where someone will start dreaming of that I'm moving or I'm packing or I'm waiting to get on a train or I'm on an airplane. One woman talked about being on a, a cruise that she went on and came back the next day and was very excited by it. Um, so they have, uh, there's those, those kind of commonalities as, as people prepare to, uh, leave without really knowing how to leave. To go on that big cruise that has a one-way sailing trip. Yeah. 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 That woman in particular, she was, she was a hoot. She, she had, uh, she had a lot of different caregivers, uh, helping her in the end of her life. And she, she kind of went through them like Kleenex for a while there, kind of training them and getting mad at them and firing them. And so, so when she went on the cruise, she, she had a good time. She was telling me about it. And she said, I said, well, what happened on the other side? She said, well, I came back because my cruise director, everybody had their own cruise director and mine was (laughs) new and she needed training. And so I came back in order to train her up a little bit. Wow. (laughs) I thought that's pretty, that's, that sounds like you. So, it was pretty fun. So how do you ask about dreams if you don't know what they mean? Well, you just you you follow the lead of the person who is talking to you. So I don't I don't tend to interpret dreams for people because well for a lot of reasons, but I think the the main one is is that the dream and the dream meaning really does belong to the dreamer. Um and we each do have our own language, and so it's important not to not to put uh, not to put an interpretation on it. So, with my friend who had the uh, went on the cruise, yeah. I asked her about the cruise. I asked her what she did and what it was like. I asked her kind of why she came back, and she explained mm-hmm. that. And the only thing I said about it after that was, "Well, I hope next time you go that you get to go with somebody who, you know, has been well trained." And she got kind of excited. Do you think I'll go again? I said, I don't see why not. <laughs> she died about a week later. Oh, God bless her. Yeah, and it was just, and I, I hope she did get another cruise. But it's just really not a time to try and tell people they mean something other than what they mean. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. No, can you explain that? Yeah, I, I think the end of life is so, again, it's so rich and so challenging and the dreams become so vivid and so rich in themselves that it really they really don't need uh, they don't need a big interpretation they just need someone willing to listen and to to let the person explore the dreams as they will and the most i've ever done is if they've said i just don't know what this means i'll just say well, what does it remind you of and what were your emotions in it and what does it remind you of and and just let it be that Interesting. Um, do you use a dream dictionary? Myself, I don't. I know there are there are a lot of uh, dream dictionaries mm. out there. They all kind of come from the same place. I think the first one was somewhere in ancient Greece, and they had somebody wrote down a dream dictionary, and they've been using some of those same symbols ever since. Um, but because I think we each develop our own kind of shorthand for what our experience means, um, they can be useful to give ideas, but they, they get in the way if we start thinking that the dictionary knows more about our lives than we do. Plus, if you were to compare dream, uh, dream dictionaries, they differ. Do they? They differ. Yeah. You know, so how do you... How can you, with any certainty, use a dream dictionary when there's so many interpretations for the same dream? 
in all of these different books as well as on the internet. So who do you know? You know, like, what do you do? Who do you trust? <laughs> Maybe try four or five of them and see if any of them fit with well, your experience. You can have a little aha. Oh, yeah, that is what it means. But it isn't that trying to make a jigsaw puzzle and you're missing that final piece and you end up trying to get any other piece in there that will make it look like, like it's working? Or do you just, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that's the... Um that's the risk you take in using the, the dream dictionaries is that you start mm -hmm. trying to mold your experience into what the theory is. So I don't like them for that, but yeah. I, I don't tell people never use them. Well, of course not. Yeah. There's a lot out there. Just say use, use two or three and, and see where the differences lie. All right. Stand by. You and I have to take our break with the news at the bottom of the hour. And we'll be back talking about dreams dreams when you're at the threshold of that next uh, next unknown reality that each and every one of us will one day take you have to look at life and say this is very funny the moment you are conceived is the moment you start to die we'll be back on the other side of this break don't go away Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. 
That's www.futureofgodamen.com. And welcome back, everyone. Jane Van Brockhorst is our special guest, www, and I'm going to spell the website for you, J-E-A-N-N-E-V-A-N-B-R-O-N-K-H-O-R-S-T dot com. And we're talking about her new book entitled, do you have your pencils and paper ready? Yeah, remember those things we used to use way back when? Well, try them now because they're a great way to remember things. Dreams at the Threshold. Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life, published by our good friends at Llewellyn. What was the hardest part for you as an author in writing this book? Ugh, the writing. <laughs> I had to learn how to write, which... Um, I learned that in school. Yeah, I learned it in school. <laughs> it's so different writing for a real audience who, you know, you're expecting, they're expecting to get some of their money's worth, so uh-huh. it's finding the way to write and it took a long time my first book took a took many years to get my thoughts in order and put them in a in a format that was going to be interesting for people to read um and fortunately i had a friend who was an editor who helped a lot she looked at that first book and she said this is great let's start over (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the great words from great editors um <laughs> Do we here in Canada look at the dying process differently than they do in other parts of the world? Um, in what way? Um, I don't. I don't know that it's that different. I think. Well, let, let's let's look at it this way. What are you thinking? When yeah. so, when somebody dies in Ireland, they don't have a grieving process at the end. They have a party. They celebrate the person's life. It's called an Irish wake. The Irish wake, yeah. yeah. So why it, don't, why doesn't the rest of society follow that idea? I think it's a great idea when you actually, instead of mourning the loss of the person, celebrate their life. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. You know, some people are starting to do living funerals too, which is like having a memorial party right. with the person who's still alive and, and gathering people and sharing stories and and saying prayers and and having a big farewell. Well, we do that here at, at home. It's called a barbecue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could do a barbecue. Yeah, except you know we don't we don't look at it as you know a prelude to somebody dying. We look at it as living today and yeah. living our life together as it should be because you're here for a good time. You're not here for a long time. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I had a friend, she, she was dying, and she uh, had a party, and she asked people, um, she knew where she was going, that she was going to have time to meet with other people who had died. Mm-hmm. So she had people write down messages that she they wanted her to pass along to their, their deceased loved ones. It was such an interesting idea. And people did. People wrote down all kinds of messages that she was going to take with her. Oh, interesting. I've never heard mm-hmm. of that before. I don't know. I think we, we all can. Uh, I think the culture is big enough for, for all kinds of ways of doing this. <laughs> what about nightmares? Yeah, there are nightmares. I think I think um, at the end of life, the nightmares actually change and become more comforting, which is a relief. Um, a lot of people have found that, that even people who started out with terrible, terrible nightmares of um, being dismembered or people walking away from them saying there's no hope, there's no hope. By the end of their life, they're having dreams that bring them a lot of hope with flowers and, and again, visitations, people that they love being there with them. But I think about nightmares in particular, um, just throughout our lives, they, they tend to be, um, well, there's a lot of different reasons for them. Something, something that's sometimes it's just a wake up. Mm-hmm. Things aren't going as well as you want them to. Uh, sometimes they're prodding us to do something new. Uh, sometimes they're just us trying to kind of process through some strong emotions that we 
didn't want to acknowledge or, or, or think about too much when we were awake. And they come back to haunt us at night. When you're talking to patients about their dreams, do you find out that the your interest in their dreams actually creates more dreams that they have? Or are they just more cognizant of their dreams? Yeah, I think people, I think people get more cognizant. I think um, as we talk about our dreams and mm. think about them, we are training our brains to remember our dreams and, and put them into kind of a meaningful context. Let so, me ask you this. As the lady who was writing the dream book, have your dreams changed since writing this book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, since since I started talking about and writing mm-hmm. about dreams, my dreams have become more vivid, and they they still are pretty much connected to my daily life. Um, I, I take the dream continuity theory, which says that oftentimes what we're dreaming about is uh, that our dreams are one way of us kind of processing our day right. and some of our deeper, our deeper emotions as well. They don't have to be just day to day emotions. Um, but I take it as it's my brain and my heart kind of figuring out what I want for my life. And this is one way of doing it. So yeah, I have great dreams. <laughs> And they come and go. They're like, they're, I think like most people, I they kind of wax and mm-hmm. wane um, over time. When I spend more time talking about them and thinking about them, then I, I will remember them more. Yeah. How does your dream book help those who are left behind and who are going to go through the grieving process? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think dreams are really valuable in that morning process as well. And these visitation dreams that I was talking about, they actually can show up as well for the mourners. Um, in fact, I talked to a couple of grief therapists, grief uh, counselors, mm-hmm. who said that sometimes they have people come to them because they want a visitation dream, because they want that dream badly and they can't figure out how to have that. And they will the counselors will help them kind of get ready to have a visitation dream and, and help them figure out how to ask for that and how to pay attention to those. But I Mm. think, I think dreams, grief dreams can really run the gamut from uh, being kind of nightmarish, exploring how, how deep the grief is. Um, And they can be comforting showing the person that we love um, is all right. So they kind of run the whole gamut. During uh, doing the research for your book, as well as talking to people, both who are patients uh, and the members of their family, have you had an opportunity to meet with these people after the death of their dear loved ones? And if so, have they talked to you about any dreams in which the departed one has communicated with him in the dream state. Yeah. Um, I haven't done that, but I did. I interviewed, like I said, two mm-hmm. grief counselors who, who did that, who actually they were working with people in grief who would have a visitation dream and, and feel like the difference between dreaming about somebody and waking up and saying, oh, I just dreamed of, um, about my mother and I was remembering her. And, you know, I, it kind of reminded me of what I miss about her is one thing. But waking up and knowing that you saw your mother, that she was there, that mm-hmm. she, there's this sense of vivid recall to it and the sense of realness to it that puts it into another level. And the grief counselors both said that, for people in grief, that strong visitation dream does a lot to help people feel more settled in their grieving process. That there's this this visceral sense that my loved one is okay. Is yeah. Is 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 this a, a a dream that is generated by the person who's grieving? Is this something that we all have within us? It's an inherent part of our physiology. Or does that person really come to visit them in a dream? That's great. Um, I 
I think it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. I think that the way, because when, when people have, when the grief counselors were talking, it was clear that they could help people have these dreams by imagining who they wanted to see and what they wanted to have happen. And by training themselves to remember their dreams and paying attention to that in the morning, that they could gather the a space kind of clear uh, an emotional space for a dream like that to happen but at the same time it also when that dream happens it feels more like a gift of a true visit from someone mm. beyond um just me imagining it there's such a difference between dreaming about somebody and dreaming with somebody and that sense of being with somebody in your dreams is its very powerful. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. First of all, uh, Jean, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great talking to you. And, and I'm sure that your book has touched many a hearts. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you get thanked a lot for the great work that you're doing. I, I enough. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, you're going to, you're I, going to get one right the, now as well, Ted. On that, so thank you so much for the wonderful work that you do, because you. Uh, my wife uh, worked in the palliative cares mm-hmm. wards of hospitals, and uh, you yeah. guys, you guys are you guys are angels. You really are. <laughs> you and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And don't forget, if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exome Broadcast Network, go to www.xzbn.net. And uh, don't forget, the Exome TV show is on Simul TV at www.simultv.com. Don't go away. You have heard of the Exome? Now watch it on Simul TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 
2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest this hour is Jean Van Bronkhorst. She's the author of Dreams at the Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life, published by our good friends at Llewellyn. And her website is www.jeanvanbronkhorst.com. Jean, are there any stories that you can share with us about some of the people that you spoke to about (laughs) the dreams that they had and how their dreams affected the 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 remainder of their lives? Oh, yeah. I think one of my favorite stories is uh, from a friend of mine whose father was uh, very ill. And his father was a very quiet man who worked by himself and didn't didn't spend a lot of time with friends outside of his immediate family. And he got a particular kind of cancer that uh, created, just wreaked havoc in his brain. And Within months, he was in a nursing home and was not able to be home and was just really suffering. Um, And people tried to visit him, and it was hard because he wasn't lucid very much. And when he was lucid, he was just really, uh, really depressed and really uh, upset at, at being where he was. And then one day, his wife visited him, and he kind of smiled at her and said, hey, you know, last night I went dancing. And her first thought was to say, well, no, you didn't. (laughs) I know you didn't go dancing. But she thought about it and she asked him about it. And he didn't talk about it like it was a dream. He talked about it like this is what happened. That he went dancing and he went out with her and he went out with friends and they went out to dinner afterwards. And she talked about it with the nursing staff and they decided that, rather than trying to reorient him back to this terrible place where he was, that they would let him talk about his, his experiences. And, and it opened up. For six months, he had adventure after adventure at night, and people came back and his friends came in to talk to him because all of a sudden he was telling these wonderful stories One night he went hiking, one night he went skydiving, one night he went dancing a lot, he went out to dinner a lot, he went to the circus once, and it gave him a way to feel feel like he had this exciting life and something for him to talk about and a way for people to come back and connect with him and share this experience with him. And it was this six months of reprieve for him and his family. And they never once tried to talk him out of it. Wow. And his wife just, she just kind of shook her head and said, he's having a better life than I am. I just go home and go to sleep. I'm exhausted by the end of the day. And he's having this amazing life for six months. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? There just isn't, you know. So I I start the book with that because because it's not about making the dreams be real in mm-hmm. kind of a verifiable sense. It's really looking the, at the pragmatics of how do these help us? How do these give us a, the best life we can have? And as we work through the book, I, it becomes more clear, does move into a spiritual aspect. And I do feel like my job is to help uh, support people in whatever they believe for the afterlife. And if they're dreaming of angels, great. If they're dreaming of their mother, that's wonderful. If they're having terrible dreams, we'll try and make something uh, try and make them better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but any way that our dreams can help us live through the end of life with a sense of security uh, is just graceful. It just it just is a way of being touched by grace, I think. 
do the people who are members of the family of those who are in hospices or, or in other uh, institutions waiting for the end of time, do they find that their dreams change and are their dreams of comfort to them? Yeah, I think I think like with everything, the dreams are are pretty individualized. But but family members will have grief dreams before mm-hmm. somebody died, or I've talked to people who had journey dreams where they weren't journeying, but they were watching the person they loved packing. They were watching the person they loved go stand in line. So I think there's all kinds of ways we are. As family members and as loved ones, we are we are participating in this event, and our dreams are one way that we can uh, sort out those big feelings um, without overwhelming the people during the day. Huh. You know, based on your experience uh, and your expertise in this field, how have you seen the hospice? change the final days for people? Uh, I think hospice can be a really wonderful thing. I, I've i worked in a, several of them, and I've mm-hmm. volunteered in several of them, and, and I really like the hospice philosophy of helping people live as fully and richly as they can um, for as long as they can. And I think it's it's done a tremendous service for for people. And I think if it's still underutilized. Um, there's a lot of people who don't use it. It's it's scary to to say I'm done trying to fix this and I'm ready for comfort care only. But the people who are able to do that, um, they they have what I would call a good 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 deaths. Um, as much as you can have that, there's more peace and there's more. Comfort. There's more time to settle affairs. Uh, there's more control. Plus, the person, the patient who is at the hospice, has a greater support group with them yeah. than at another, let's say, another hospital or another, another location. Yeah. In your opinion, is it better for a person to pass in a hospice or to pass at home? Oh, it really depends on on how people are are doing. Mm-hmm. I. Um, most people who use hospice uh, die at home with palliative care, people coming to their home and, and providing the, the symptom relief and, and the pain relief. And I think most people like that, but sometimes it's not possible. And so um, hospice can go to where people are as well in long-term care or in uh, inpatient hospice units. Um just depends on on how much physical care they need and who's available to help tell me about your your next book oh my next book i'm writing about uh, how we say goodbye at the end of life because it's so hard to do and there are a number of books out there that talk about kind of what to expect when someone's dying in terms of the physical medical event but not a lot um, out there on kind of the emotional event that this is. And so so I'm writing a book about you know why it's important uh, to say goodbye, what goodbye consists of, what makes it so hard, and how people have gone about doing it anyway. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's good. it's i'm I'm right in the thick of it right now, so I'm still kind of thinking and feeling my way through it. Your first book was entitled Premonitions in Daily Life. Yes. Tell me about that. Oh, that was my first book. Um, I wrote about that because I was interested in people in having these um, premonitions where you, a premonition is when you know what's going to happen next and mm-hmm. you can't figure out how you knew it. And they're really, even looking back, there's no way to say, this information came from something else. Um, so how do people make sense of these pretty vivid, powerful experiences in a culture that says we're not sure it exists? Um, so it's a lot about helping people trust their own experience and trust that premonitions are real enough that you can actually look at your experience and question it and 
kick the tires a little bit and see what you want to do about it. What, <laughs> what was your conclusion about what a premonition was? Uh, premonitions are these, again, vivid experiences mm -hmm. that can either come in dreams or they come uh, kind of out of the blue. There's this sense of knowing with a certainty that you can't explain of what's coming next. And then it happens and you kind of watch the world turn until all of a sudden you're seeing in daily life the very thing that you dreamed about or imagined happening without really any any support for that, right? Gotcha. So what do you do with it? <laughs> Jean, you and I have to say so long for tonight, but what I'd like you to do before we say so long is to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you as well as tell them where they can buy a copy of either one of your books. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, JeanVanBronkhorst.com is my website. And um, the books are both through Llewellyn. So you can either get them at Llewellyn or at the bookstores. You should be able to, if they're not mm -hmm. on the shelf, you can order them easily. Um, or, of course, online, which a lot of people do. They are ebooks as well as hard, hard copy books. Um, they were a joy to write. And, yeah. That's what I know. <laughs> All right, Gene. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to the next time you join us back here in the X-Zone. So until then, take care of yourself. And thank you for the wonderful work that you do. Thank you. It was a true pleasure. You take care of yourself now. All right, X-Zone Nation. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. As we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center, just down the road from where Gene is in Toronto, we're in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. We'll be back. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. 
Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D O W S E R S.com or call 1 877 Dowsing. That's 1 877 369 7464.